My name is Gene Colan, and welcome to my studio. Each time I got a story, it was always uppermost in my mind as to how different can I make this one, and this one, and so on. And as they came in, it was, I just threw myself into it, lived another life in a sense. I tried to get into that story myself. I tried to jump into the page and try to imagine what it would be like to see it visually as an outsider. When you have it developed a style, it's as recognizable as your hand, as your handwriting. Same thing. I wanted the, the story to be sort of uh, mystifying and sinister. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of FW Presents, the proud anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and I am back once more to shine the spotlight on the work of my favorite comic book artist, Gene Colan. This time, I'm talking about a character that Colan co-created towards the end of the Silver Age, Marvel's Captain Marvel. And since we're dealing with the cosmic sphere, I've brought in a fellow podcaster who knows a thing or two about that pocket of the Marvel Universe. You know him as the host of Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Please welcome Al Sedano. What's up, Al? Hey, Ryan. I'm good. How you doing? Doing very, very well. Thank you for joining me this time. You are probably familiar with the other biggest cosmic heroes uh, in Marvel Stable, other than the one we're going to talk about. But before we get to that... Uh, what is your history or your experience with the artist in question, Gene Colan? I mean, Gene Colan is someone I've seen off. I had seen off and on early on when reading stuff, especially reading reprints or older issues. The time I know when he really, when it really clicked, when it really clicked, that like, oh, that's who this artist is, and paying attention to his work or paying attention to him was, and this is something I think that's been said before, Tomb of Dracula, mm-hmm. specifically the essential Tomb of Dracula. Those volumes, I which I have all those, that is my preferred way to read that. Nothing against people doing the coloring or anything, but seeing that in black and white, and it's just his pencils, you know, with, with where we're doing the inks on it, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it just fully sets the, the feel for me of like, yes, this is the Marvel Universe, but it's the 1970s. It has to be in the 1970s reading True Dracula. That's what it's a 70s horror movie. You're, not, you're yeah, you're definitely not the first person to mention that. Yeah, the Tomb of Dracula, obviously, and and I know a lot of people prefer the black and white essentials version, which is how I read a good chunk of the series too. Yeah, yeah, because it's just beautiful his work there. So yeah. that's my first real paying attention to, like, you know, when like you've seen people whose work, but there's always a time where like somebody clicks with you and you're like, oh yeah, 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 and and considering, I mean, I, I definitely think that sort of. Uh, that kind of pegged him as one of those more, and, and part of it is just sort of the the fluidity with a lot of his his style and everything, uh, you know how how kind of like smoky and amorphous it tends to seem, uh, which which fits right in with the that Tomb of Dracula. I think that sort of lends him more of a a darker supernatural horror tinge type thing, and, and kind of puts him in in that category where he's familiar. Um, and yet, as, as we've gone through this, he did do plenty of normal superheroes like Captain America and Wonder Woman and, and Batman and Daredevil. 
Um, but he mm. also he uh, contributed to some of uh, some of Marvel's like Silver Age or early like late sixties cosmic heroes in the sense that he co-created the original Guardians of the Galaxy. He did their first appearance, yep. uh, and then he co-created their version of Captain Marvel, which was just. Martin Goodman's way of of securing the copyright on the name and and sticking it to the competition. Which... And not so disrespect to Gene Colan, but it must have been pretty easy for him artistic wise to create them since they already had the Cree. He yeah. just put him in a Cree. It was just a Cree guy in a Cree uniform. Yeah, really. He didn't have to do I mean, much. Yeah, it's like all right, I'll just Jack Kirby do these already. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's easy. Yeah. What do you think of like? I mean, I I have this kind of weird affection for. This version of Marvel that we're going to be talking about in like the original Cree uniform, and I think it's it doesn't compare when when we what most people remember of Captain Marvel at least more from like the Jim Starlin era okay, uh, that yes. will will take over during the seventies and like and before that the the blue and red or the red and blue costume and everything like that is just one of those all time great simple superhero costumes. Um, I it's just it's a beautiful costume to look at with like the the are they the Quantum bands or the nega bands? Nega, he has the, nega bands. He has nega bands. Okay. Quasar is quantum. Qua, yeah, that's right. I always got the two confused. Um, those as little accents and everything, but like with the the hair coming out, the blonde hair eventually. Um, it's yeah, that's just a beautiful superhero costume. But I like the the old school green and white Cree uniform. I think for the same reason, I kind of like Adam Strange over at DC or Captain Comet. There's just some something kind of like old school alien space ranger type of thing about it well yeah there's that and it's also kind of a little bit of a a, a difference because uh, we're so used to because he already was in the captain marvel uniform like the one you said the red and blue one before any of us even started reading comics or most of us were even born you know a lot of us were even born right so going back and looking at this is just like oh wow that's kind of neat that's mm-hmm. like you know seeing the issue of what is it fantastic four number three when the thing has that helmet on yeah yeah, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, you almost wish they did that a little longer because that's just kind of neat and cool because it's something that's new and different to something that we thought was the same thing always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's actually get into it. We're talking about Captain Marvel issue two. So, uh, looking at the cover of this one, Captain Marvel issue two, or perhaps more accurately, Marvel's space-born superhero, Captain Marvel issue two has a June 1968 cover date, but according to Mike's Amazing World of Total Landscaping, the actual on-sale date would have been March 7th that year. The book sports a ridiculous 12-cent price tag, are they crazy? On the cover by Gene Colan and Vince Coletta. Said cover shows the Kree warrior Captain Marvel ducking a fireball thrown by a flaming super scroll, looking much like the, the Human Torch. And a text blister at the bottom says the Spaceman and the Super Scroll. Al, what do you think about this cover? Well, we, I mean, definitely very dynamic. We got the get the nice uh, fight between the two of them, so it's cool looking. Mm-hmm. Not much in the background way, obviously. It almost makes it feel like they're fighting in space. Yeah, yeah, it does actually. Like they could be like fighting on like the surface of the moon or an asteroid or something. But I mean, it, it's it's fun. But I I mean, besides the uh, I know you have a affection for it, but besides like the bizarre nostalgia i guess you could have for the, the green costume i mean nostalgia for something that wasn't around when you were younger but <laughs> right right the more it's not really that exciting the, more, the most exciting thing is the super scroll yeah 
flying in like this. I mean, he's coming in like the human torch. He's got a, the flame behind him. He's got a fireball. His one hand looks like it's like you know exploding. Marvel is just like pew pew. <laughs> he's shooting his unibeam. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh god. Yes, that unibeam. Yeah. It's like oh, I forgot you had that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a striking cover for a lot of it. Is the color contrast? It's like the the harsh reds and reds, orange, yellows, and then versus the green. Actually, I maybe maybe part of the green and white costume is because it's sort of like the opposite of Green Lantern type of thing. I don't know. There might be oh, some. Actually, some I was just thinking about the fact that Marvel usually use green for villains, and he sort of is semi here. But yeah, it's also as we'll see, this cover could have been a panel from inside the book. So yeah, yeah, um, it's a good representation. Of what happens? They yeah. fight. Yeah. All right, let's get into this. From the Void of Space Comes the Super Scrawl is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Vince Coletta, lettered by Sam Rosen, and edited by Stan Lee. On the Skrull homeworld, the Emperor observes the curious recent activity by the Kree regarding the planet Earth. He summons the exiled Super Scrawl, giving the once proud warrior a new mission. Go to the human world and find out why the Kree have taken such an interest. Why the famous Kree hero Marvell fought against one of their own century robots, and after gaining that intelligence, kill Marvell. The Super Skrull takes the mission to reclaim his honor and possibly to win the favor of the Princess Anel. On Earth, Captain Marvell sneaks back to the hotel where he's covertly renting a room under the guise of Walter Lawson. He takes the special tonic that allows him to survive Earth's atmosphere. But when he goes to store his Kree space uniform in the carry-all cylinder, he discovers it missing. The hotel clerk, suspecting that Lawson is a foreign spy, stole the mysterious cylinder and drives to the U.S. Army base at the Cape to present it to the senior officer. He has no idea that if the cylinder is opened, it initiates a two-hour countdown to a nuclear-level explosion. The hotelier convinces one of the Cape's security guards to escort him to the base, but on their route, they are stopped by the sudden arrival of the Super Skrull, whose ship homed in on the Kree cylinder. After using his stretch ability to punch out the guard and pull the hotelier out of his car, he takes the cylinder, intending to study it aboard his ship. Then Marvell shows up, following the hotel clerk, managing to save the man from being thrown to his death by the Skrull. Marvell and Super Skrull start to fight, the Kree using his uniform's powers and the Unibeam lens blaster. The Skrull, the various powers of the Fantastic Four, including the flame and flight powers of the Human Torch and the stretching of Mr. Fantastic. Their battle leads them onto the military base, where the action is observed by soldiers, the general, and the head of security, one Carol Danvers. High above, in orbit, a Kree starship also watches the battle below. Colonel Jan Rog is beside himself with joy at the possibility that his rival Marvell will be killed without Jan Rog having to jeopardize his own standing to do it. Meanwhile, Marvell's lady love, Una, is terrified for her love's life. Down at the base, the Super Skrull uses the Invisible Girl's powers to vanish and sneak attack Marvell, rendering him unconscious. The Skrull starts to drag Marvell away, telling the soldiers to stay away. Meanwhile, none of them realize that the cylinder is on the grounds nearby, and in less than two hours, it will explode. To be continued. Al, what did you think of this issue? Well, first of all, the Kree have the worst luggage ever. <laughs> 
it's it's not just your luggage, it's also a nuclear bomb. It's like, oh, well, that's useful, I guess. <laughs> also, I want to give out a warning to anyone who's a fan of Carol Danvers. You don't need to read this issue. Ooh, yeah. Because this is not the Carol Danvers that you know and love. This is not even the Carol Danvers that some people loathe and hate. I Yeah, I recently read her entire original series, um, and as much as I love Jerry Conway, I don't really think she was a, a real character until Chris Claremont took over um, with issue oh. three or four. I think three. Um, yeah, but yeah. here she's not even that. She's yeah. <laughs> basically a late Silver Age female. Yeah. That's her job. She's the female. I mean, I'm not trying to be derogatory to anybody. That's just the role she's given. That's all she does is worry about Captain Marvel, even though she's never barely met him. Mm. I hope he's all right. But you're supposed to be the chief of security. <laughs> Just have, be a little bit more suspicious. Yeah, it's like or yeah. do something, be proactive, but anything but just. I mean, she's basically just looking at the other guy, saying, "What does it all mean?" It's like, no, no, that's Sue, that's Sue Storm's lines in the '60s, not yours. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, I have this bias. I love Gene Colan, and seeing him draw the scrolls, I'm like, hey, that's awesome. Except. Did you notice anything curious about how he draws the scrolls? Uh, are you talking about the the big faces? Well, what's curiously missing about the scrolls? Oh, you mean the chins? Yes, they like the chin folds, the weird clefts that they have in in their in their chins that no one has. Yeah, Colin does not draw those. No, no, probably too much of annoyance. Yeah, yeah. Either that, or he just he did, he forgot. Maybe he never. Maybe he never saw the issues of like Fantastic Four where they appeared before, and or or just I don't know. <laughs> They're green people, right? Good enough. I can do yeah. that. Pointy ears? Yeah, no problem. No yeah. worries. Yeah. But he gave one of them a robot doggy, so I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like page five. Like I mean, there's a panel at the top of the Super Scroll. I was like, yeah, it almost more looks more like a Green Goblin type of thing, but. Yeah, and, and, you know, I wasn't paying attention to that. I was looking at some other things, like the fact that they're fighting Ray Spannon. Oh, I'm sorry, I mean Captain Marvel. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, he looks. I didn't realize until reading this one. I'm like, wow, he looks just like Ray Spannon from Johnny Quest. He really, really does with the silver hair. Yeah, especially when it's so short. Because later on, even when he had the silver hair in the beginning of the Starlin run, it's a lot longer. Right. Right. It's yeah. more '70s hair. Yeah. And and he's got like the like the full like the strong jaw and everything like the the like full face and everything like yeah he definitely has that kind of action hero man man type of thing. Yeah. Now I mean this isn't my preferred era for for uh, Marvel because it the Starlin one is be- it, it is better. Yes. Oh and yeah. I do yeah. like that kind of storyline better. But it is kind of fun looking at this old like this is still kind of fun because he's back he's doing the he's spying for them he's not really a hero. Mm-hmm. It's almost as like in the Silver Age, instead of giving Iron Man a strip, they gave the Black Widow a strip. And it was about her trying to spy for the, the Soviet Union, but not trying to be too horrible in America. Right, right. Or or feeling or being conflicted like halfway through the mission and realizing that, hey, maybe maybe I'm on the wrong side, you know, seeing that, which yeah. is what we're seeing a long form thing with Marvel as it's basically taking him like half a year to kind of get to that point. Yeah, so it's, I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why they – I mean, I don't know if that was the reason why, but it works because yeah. Marvel does have a thing traditionally where, like, purple and green are the villain colors. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I had read the the first chunk of this run a while ago, and and possibly because of my affection for Colin, like I, I convinced myself that yeah, this is probably the best time for Captain Marvel. Like this is the real OG Captain Marvel. I like this stuff, and I finally got around to reading the Starlin issues only about a year ago, and it wasn't even close. I'm like, oh my god, that's so much better. <laughs> like, not even. Um, but then, kind of because I couldn't help myself, I started kind of going back and. Trying to think, you know, if, if Marvel was approaching these things today, or if they had had the the, the foresight, or, or with the sort of gender politics uh, of today back then, and I kind of thought, wouldn't it have been cool if they could have sort of like merged these things? If Marvel had only ever had this green and white costume, and he'd only ever been the Kree soldier, like the spy and everything, and he ended up, you know, dying to to save the Earth instead. But in doing so, he gave his powers to Carol Danvers. And, and it basically, if you just jump-started her origin and her time in the Marvel Universe much earlier than it really did, and hmm. then if she had taken over as Captain Marvel from there, and if she had been the one to originate the red and blue costume and the Nega bands, and if that entire Starlin saga had been Carol's story instead of Marvel's, um, hmm. I just I, I think that would have been very very cool. Yeah, but probably not something that would happen in the seventies, though. Unfortunately, no. That's again thinking about think about like the, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. If they if they could have if they had had the force to do something like that back then, but. Yeah. No, that's something you can see them doing now where they start start a new series and then twist like issue seven, the main character dies. Right, right, yeah. And then continue but the series continues on with the replacement, with like the one that they like, no, this is it's like, no, we were actually always intending the series to be about her. Mm-hmm. He's just setting it up. Right, right. It's just so weird. There's so much stuff in this issue that has nothing to do with Captain Marvel later on. <laughs> like, oh I can't breathe. I must drink I must make the solution so I can breathe Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> Like that's gone forever. Yeah. Later on, yeah. if you read the Starlin stuff or his his little cylinder carry case or his Unibeam, no one cares about that later. Right, <laughs> it's all gone forever. Who takes over from Roy Thomas? I'm trying to think who the next writer is on this series. I can't remember who it is. Uh, I'm trying to remember right now because it, it jumps. I mean, I don't know, but I know this series jumps around. Like this is definitely the ep- epitome of like brand new direction. Yeah, they keep trying to figure out what they're going to do with this thing. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the art throughout? Oh, the art's good though. I mean, Colin's good here. He's yeah. telling, you know, he's telling a good story. The art, art looks good. It's you can tell a lot of it. It's mean, it's all taking place over one night. You could tell it's kind of shadowy and dark. And he's got some cruel uh, angles. Like what is it? Page nine of the series where like the the scroll ship comes flying in and like we're seeing from underneath. Yeah. You know, so he he does some cool angles and some cool stuff with the Super Scroll too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they really didn't. They weren't sure what to go with this this character. You know, they were trying this approach first, and since it's not going to work, they're going to just keep jumping around to see what works with him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I like the idea they were trying for, which is you know, he's a superhero, but he's really a spy. And I, uh, yeah, and I think I mean, just like they were. The fact that they were calling him the space-born superhero, they were do, doing more of kind of just a, a play on the using that that metaphor for being the the foreigner, the other, um, whose loyalty then would be tested, and he would end up siding with with you know America or Earth over over his people. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell this is something that was done because they were told they had to do it. 
Yeah, yeah, from from the sounds of it, like Roy Thomas being as, as much of a faithful devotee of the Golden Age as he was, he, he didn't like the idea of, you know, taking over a new Captain Marvel from the beloved, like, Billy Batson Shazam stuff that he was familiar with, but apparently exactly. Stan Lee was like, you don't have a choice, you have to do it. Okay, it looks like Arnold Drake is comes at, comes on after him. Okay, all right. Yeah, because I'm looking here, and Thomas and Colin are still on through issue four, but then issue five is Arnold Drake and Don Heck, and that looks like, and I think that I saw that for six, and let's see, for seven, because actually, officially, the title is Marvel Spaceborne Superhero Captain Marvel, because if you're looking at it, like, something like comics.org, yeah, yeah. they have issues one through six separate from seven, because seven is now called Captain Marvel. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They're being very anal about it. But yeah, still Arnold Drake. So Arnold Drake's going to be on for a little while at least, through at least issue seven. So. Okay. From pages 10 and 11, I love the, the when the Skrull ship is landing, when it's arriving on Earth, and then the motorcycle escort driving up, and then Super Skrull's long, stretch-out punch taking the biker off his off his bike. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at that. Like, the angle that's on, like, you're on a tilt. Yep. And that's pretty cool. So, like I said, colon is the best part of the issue. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the second half, like, just the, the whole the fight sequence, um... It's just, I mean, you're getting a lot of the use of the flame powers and the invisibility and the stretching and and Super Scroll kind of going all out and most of most of Marvel's fighting is just like shooting the Unibeam and everything, but just like the dynamic, the angles and the poses and and some of their fists flying and everything. It's it's a fun fight to watch. Oh yeah, no, the fighting is great. I mean, the fight part, especially like yeah, once you get page fourteen, fifteen, when they start fighting each other, that's the best part is the fight scene between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Because the other stuff is kind of like comedy. It's like, oh, I, I'm a night clerk, so I decided to go snoop into my customer, you know, my my uh, customers' rooms, and I found something weird. So I'm going to just assume they're a traitor. <laughs> like uh, whatever works to get you there, so we can get the plot moving. <laughs> but then we get the actual fighting, and that's the cool part. And he loses the fight, at least through this issue. I think my favorite pages. I don't know if I could limit it to just one, but I think pages 17 and 18 are my favorites. With the fight going on there, we get a lot of like intense punching <laughs> in the faces and everything. Like, like that first panel on page 18, looks like the scroll is punching him so hard his head is exploding. Just turning into yeah. like a white hole. <laughs> I, I like 14 and 15, uh, 15. It's a great back and forth fighting with whatever, you know, their pow- whatever powers are just fists. It mm-hmm. just doesn't stop. Yeah. That it, it, like I said, yeah, that's the best part because unfortunately this series, and sadly this is probably as good as this series gets pre Starlin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, picking up on what you were saying, I, I flipped ahead just like in the first two years of this. But before we get to issue twenty five, the book will be written also by Mike Friedrich, Gary Friedrich, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman, Roy Thomas again, and Archie Goodwin. <laughs> So, oh yeah, well, it makes sense because this book, like I said, it has multiple yeah. changes in the status quo. Sometimes after just an issue or two. Yeah, I mean, at one point he's going to become the agent of some kind of bizarre alien creature, and then there, that's going to go away an issue later. Gil Kane, okay, that, I knew I knew Gil Kane was the artist for a couple issues on it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, we're talking about like six or seven different writers just in the first twenty-five issues. So, yeah, and. They didn't know what to, they didn't know what to do with him until Jim Starley came along. He had an idea. Yeah, his idea. I'll take a whole lot of drugs and then write stuff. 
Yeah, well, that's an idea. Yeah, it, Apparently it, it worked. worked. It worked. It worked in the seventies. Worked for Steve Gerber. <laughs> and uh, told a pretty cool Thanos story out of it, which uh, probably relates yeah. to some of your stuff. Oh yeah, we covered all those issues. Um. Yeah, I don't have anything else uh, for this one. Um, I. I mean, it's. I, I don't think it's. I mean, this wasn't Colin's best book, but I wanted to kind of uh, like touch on this title because Colin co-created Captain Marvel, or he's he's credited at least as a co-creator for this character. Um, and there's a legacy of the name Captain Marvel and what it has to do. Yeah. And it's just another sort of genre, um, but really also, I mean. This was just a random issue from that run that I found at a comic store that was cheap, so I picked up this oh, there one. There you go. That's a good enough reason. Yeah. Like with that, the art's good. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and I mean, it's just not that great a series yet. Yeah. So that's the only downside. But you know, hey, it's an important thing. I mean, Captain Marvel is has become a big you know between Starlin stuff and then what's been done later. Captain Marvel is a big thing in the Marvel universe. So mm-hmm. it's this is pretty much at the beginning of it. It had to start somewhere. Yeah. Of all of the characters um, who have had that name, Captain Marvel, I I've talked about this before on other shows. Like, do you have do you have a preference? Are you a particular fan of one version of Captain Marvel or another? I'm kind of split. I like because it, it all goes back to like things. It goes back to what you know. You know what your first encounter. Mm-hmm. So for me, even though everyone loves her as that, I always in my head she's Carol Danvers is still binary. Mm-hmm. Flying through space with the Star Jammers, her head's all red. It you know, looks like it's on fire. You know, blasting through spaceships out there. So for me, the Captain Marvels I like are Monica and Janice. Okay, because yep. that's what I'm used to. That's the ones I read the most of. Yeah, Janice is one I want to read more of. I, 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 it's on my like my stack in, in Marvel Unlimited that I've got to, I've got to get through those. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. It's I like Peter David's work usually, so I did enjoy that book since it was all by Peter David. Mm-hmm. And Monica's the Captain Marvel when I started reading, yeah. so to me, she's all to me, she's the default. Mm. I yeah, Monica Rambeau is one of my favorite characters, and I, I think of her as Captain Marvel. But I also recognize, in terms of legacy and publishing and everything, she does have kind of the weakest claim to the title. So if they if they yeah. gave her a different name, I'm also fine with that. I just I don't particularly like the name Spectrum, but oh well, whatever. Yeah, um, that's true. She's the only, I mean, at least Carol got her powers from him from Marvel and yeah. Janice Vell and Philo were her, were his kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I want to like Carol more, but I just don't think. I haven't read really great Carol Danvers stories, and I feel like I've read a lot of material with her, but, I mean, none of it comes close to, you know, like the Starlin's work with Marvell. Um, I mean, that's just all-time great. So, as a Captain Marvel, I, I tend to think of Marvell before I think of Carol, and also probably just I think of Carol as Ms. Marvel and Binary, you know, and Warbird even. She's had so many other names, too. But yeah, with, with Marvel, just with that classic superhero costume, the red and blue, uh, and that that whole Thanos saga. That's you know. Uh, yeah, and then I, even I that, also also I mean, with the death of Captain Marvel is one of the one of the best stories ever told by Marvel. It it is, it's, and it also cements his legacy and the fact that they never brought him back. So it always kind of gives him that ultimate uh, one-upmanship. Yep. Yep. For anyone who wants to use the name Captain Marvel in the Marvel Universe, I mean, I will say though, at least at least what you're saying, and I agree. Like, I at least I haven't read. Maybe it's there, and I haven't seen it, but I have not read that Carol Danvers story. That to me is like 
like Death of Captain Marvel and the Thanos saga are like just not just great Captain Marvel stories, but amazing stories. Mm-hmm. So I haven't read one for her yet. Maybe it's there. I just haven't found it. Yeah. But I will say that at least like when you get to the MCU, on the other hand, I think the character they have that they think they did well with her and the fact of establishing her as when I think of Captain Marvel, they say Carol Danvers. That's what I think of more than the comic version. Sure. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So they've done a good job there, at least for that part. Yeah. And I, to, to clarify, I've read good like Carol Danvers stuff, like between the original Ms. Marvel series with uh, with uh, with Chris Claremont writing it. Um, and then I, I did read a whole bunch of the uh, the Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, original Captain Marvel run with Carol um, in the in the 2000s. Um, and there's some good stuff there, but yeah, oh, I enjoyed that one. That's the one that ends up like the Black Mirror crossover, right? Yeah, or whatever yeah. it's called yeah. with the X Men. I did read that one. That was good because yeah, that brought in the whole flirting thing. Yeah, yes, that's where it came. Yeah, yeah, which is why I actually knew what that was when I saw the movie. <laughs> but I mean, my my favorite Captain Marvel thing is still the first thing I or Carol Danvers thing is still the first issue I ever read with her, which is Uncanny X Men one seventy one when Rogue joins. Oh, okay. And she walks into school, and you don't see anything, and then you just hear pow, and you see Rogue flying out from the ceiling into orbit. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, that's awesome. <laughs> so, like I said, that's why for me, you say Kara Danvers, and my brain jumps to binary, even though it takes a second, I go, no, wait, she's Captain Marvel now. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's stuck in there. All right, Al. Thank you very much for helping me cover this issue of Captain Marvel for for our little spotlight on Gene Colan. Where else can folks find you if they want to hear your thoughts on some other cosmic Marvel characters? Yeah, well, I do a show called Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, which is mostly about Adam Warlock and Thanos and some other Marvel cosmic stuff as well. You we talk about death sometimes, Captain Marvel, occasionally the Scarecrow. Not that Scarecrow. Not that one. And not that one either. The other one. <laughs> And also, I'm on. It's on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. Uh, we do a show called L E G I O N P O D Cast, which is about the late '80s, early '90s DC sci-fi series Legion, the one with the acronym. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, all right, folks, we're going to take a short promo break right now, and then I'll be back with your feedback from the last episode. Don't go away. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could make the podcasts that they never could. In time, you will know what it is like to cross over. To feel so desperately that the comic is right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. March 2021 still arrives. Evacuate the network. Engage all defenses. 
and get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, cold Mountain Dew. I haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Fun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. You guys. The Merry Marvel Marching Society. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the way. A podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of JL May. Coming in March 2021. Covering Marvel's fall crossover event, Axe. A vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal's strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine podcasts, and Views from the Longbox. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. On the last episode of Showcase Gene Colon, which was back around Halloween, Billy D from Into the Weird helped me cover a Gene Colon fill-in issue from the late 80s Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme series. We got some feedback on the website, which you can always find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Chris Franklin, host of many shows here on the Fire and Water Network, said, Fun discussion, guys, but I really can't get past Doctor Strange's missing left arm on that cover now. Yeah, I pointed that out. Go back and look at that cover. Uh, Chris said, Roy Thomas's return to Marvel after he was more or less abandoned over in his corner at DC is often forgotten and rarely covered on podcasts. Its Bronze Age sensibilities is a bit of a culture clash considering what the future image founders were doing over in the concurrent X-Men and Spider-Man titles. Strange, no pun intended, times for Marvel and comics in general. 
Yeah, I've read some of the. Uh, I've obviously read some of uh, Thomas's Doctor Strange series from that era, and also some of his time on the West Coast Avengers, which I, I kind of like, uh, like more so than like the Burn era. Like it's it's clunky in a kind of ways, like like yeah, just like because of the the stylistic styles of the art, which doesn't feel like it's in keeping with his his writing style. But I don't know, I. I I know I am in the vast majority, uh, particularly among like this sort of group in the fire and water community. Um, but I, I think Thomas's work at Marvel across the board was better than his work at DC. And I know a lot of people disagree with that because of some of the, the love for things like All-Star Squadron, but that's me. Uh, Lizanne Oswald said, Yeah, this was kind of how the 1960s Doctor Strange books go, at least the ones I saw in The Son of Origins. The art is very good, though I like Gene's style better in Dracula. I missed this, but read his return to Daredevil in the 90s. Yeah, I haven't haven't approached Gene Colan's 90s Daredevil return. I've just been... I've just been afraid that it's going to break my heart. Um... And, and yeah, clearly, I mean, Colin's art in Tomb of Dracula is is the high point of his career. I don't think many people would argue about that. Uh, Captain Entropy said, All due respect to your nostalgia, Ryan, I'm not going to rush out and buy a copy of this issue. It's kind of bleak. That said, Colin's work is lovely, and I agree with all of the points that you and Billy D brought up as highlights. The plastic gargoyle on the phone, taking a case off the street, sticking around to take care of loose ends, and picking up the baby girl are all pluses. It occurs to me that this is not only very Bronze Age, as you said, it's also very 70s detective TV. I mean, in tone and plot outline, this could have been an episode of Mystic Rockford Files, or maybe Manix After Midnight. I love that so much. Um, and as often happens on Fire and Water, I enjoyed the review, even if I'm not sure I would have loved the comic. Well, you know what? One of those things means a lot more to me than the other, and if given the opportunity, I would always choose that you have more fun listening to the episodes than enjoying the content of whatever myself or Chris or Siskoid or Robin Shag or Max or nothing anybody is saying. Uh, or reading, sorry, covering. Uh, Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said, It's wonderful to look at the great Gene Colan's art through fresh eyes. His artwork was a bright spot in a series that even managed to make the great Mary Severin look bad. Ooh, ouch. That's that's pretty harsh. Um, but that is it for the feedback. I am going to try and get the next Gene Colon Showcase recorded before the end of this month, and then I can hopefully drop it on you guys in March. I think you will really like that one. Uh, I just need to book the time with my two special guests. Beyond that, though, speaking of Gene Colan and Doctor Strange, I just got the latest Marvel Epic Collection, Doctor Strange Alone Against Eternity, which collects a good chunk of 1970s Doctor Strange stories written by Steve Englehart, Jim Starlin, Marvel Wolfman, and illustrated by both P. Craig Russell and, of course, Gene Colan. Uh, in fact, some people say that this is some of Colan's very best work outside of Tomb of Dracula, and one of the best Doctor Strange runs of all time. I'm really looking forward to reading it, hopefully in the next couple of months. Uh, got a lot of other stuff backed up, but yeah, I'll get to it. Anywho, thanks as always to those of you who wrote in and left feedback, and thanks again to Al Sedano for being my guest on this episode. 
And thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode of FW Presents. If you enjoyed our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the episode at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can always go to Apple Podcasts and leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Network. If you really like us, please consider sponsoring the Fire and Water Network on Patreon. For more information, head over to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>